This is Digital Urbanism from the Grassroots Podcast. I'm Nilu Farvadiati, and you're listening to the fourth episode. Today, our conversation with Dr. Sophia Malson draws from her expertise on translation of computational logics and technologies being applied to hack housing and issues of housing affordability. Malson is a senior lecturer in the School of Architecture, Design and Planning at the University of Sydney. Her work spans across different fields such as smart home, feminist perspective on algorithmic epistemologies, and digital urban hack in informal housing. For today, by working on the intersections of digital and material across urban spaces and governance with housing and feminism, Malson brings forth several questions in this episode. What is hack as an urban practice and politic in digitally augmented city? Who's using urban hack and how do they do it in digital everyday life? And how have these experiments and practices have opened new ways of seeing or thinking about housing problems in Sydney? Hi, Sophia. Thank you so much for today slash tonight chat as it is 7 a.m. for uh, for you in in Sydney and 9 p.m. here in Hamburg. Um, so, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you, despite the hour, um, both your end and my end. Um, I'm Sophia Malson. I'm a lecturer at the School of Architecture, Design and Planning at the University of Sydney. And for, I guess, most of my research sort of life, I've been looking at digital technologies and the way that they sort of intersect with urbanism and everyday life and um, and how we sort of engage with those. Um, more recently, that's led me to um, sort of this idea of hacking and hacking housing, um, uh, which is essentially around, I guess, these sort of, hmm, how would you describe it? These sort of alternative, well, not even alternative practices that sort of um, intervening, finding workarounds and creative solutions to um, problems, whether that be housing affordability or in broader urban contexts, um, any sort of issues like that. And um, how you got engaged with Urban Hack? Um, So it probably... (laughs) I really like alliteration, if I'm being honest, and I was like, housing hack. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I was like, cool, that sounds good. No, um, being serious, I think uh, because of my sort of work, I used to work with um, uh, many years ago on the Programmable City Project and um, Sunye Pern, and I um, would go along to hackathons and we'd sort of look at how hackathons were used in... Um, smart city sort of context and then as we sort of you know developed our research relationships Sonia had some really interesting insights around it where we were thinking through um, these kind of things sometimes civic oriented infrastructure and interventions so um, being able to address problems at a, a sort of within your own little urban scale that you might find a challenge or something that you're interested in fixing um, and finding the tools to do that, particularly if there's sort of a lack of broader governance um, input in doing that. 
Um, and so for me, the hack in that sense, it's often we think about hacking as a very technological sort of computer-based thing. We think of computer hackers. Um, but the idea of hacking itself is, uh, has a much broader history. And so it's, it's at its most, I guess, simple, basic definition, it's about finding a workaround, a creative solution. Um, I think in the hacker jargon file, they sort of basically describe it as an appropriate application of ingenuity. Um, so what we've sort of seen, though, is that um, not only there's this technological element to it, but it's also about the translation of those hacking logics or computational logics. And um, so when we get to the um, urban space, it's, it's sort of, um, you know, this, we sort of start seeing that with this long trajectory of, I guess, uh, these sort of ways of thinking about urban spaces. So whether it was from the cybernetic cities through to the computational city, through to the programmable city, and now the platform city, but there's a sort of translation of these logics that we associate more with um, compute, computer science and things like that uh, to urban sites. And the idea being that these um, can help serve, um, solve urban problems. So we see this happen with policy. Um, and what I define as a policy hack is something like we see iterative and experimental approaches to policy. Uh, and regulations, um, they're often tested in small sections of the city before being scaled if successful. Um, sometimes they're tested and are successful but go nowhere. Um, so there's also this kind of danger of things not actually having a broader, um, I guess, influence. We also see hacking emerge in the provision of services. So basic services, um, like we see the on-demand models, so we're all familiar with um, those platforms like Uber and Uber Eats and Deliveroo, although Deliveroo, at least in Australia, no longer exists. Um, and they're disrupting these sort of provisions of transport and food, um, making it on demand sort of uh, basis. And we see this again happen with housing. So we have this idea of housing being on demand in terms of co-living organisations and companies where, you know, you can just sign up, get your little room um, in this with your shared spaces and the idea being that you can just sort of hop from one co-living development to another whenever your um, job takes you somewhere else or you have the motivation to move somewhere else. So, and then finally, we also sort of think about hacking in terms of, I guess, living and working. So part of that obviously is the co-living and co-working spaces, but also in these, I guess, earlier kind of um, less tech-oriented sort of cooperative models. Um, so we see, you know, this idea actually, you know, housing cooperatives and co-housing and things like that themselves are a hack of the dominant sort of um, overarching system. Um, so essentially urban hacking or urban hacks is sort of like, I hate to use this term, but can sort of be thought of as disruptors um, mm. uh, that sort of change those sort of overarching systems. Could you also tell us about the whole um, informal housing um, in yeah. Sydney and like contextual info and then how these um, hacks came to give some uh, uh, even short-term solution? Yeah, yeah, great, great point and question. So in Sydney, like many other places in the world at the moment, there's a massive problem with housing affordability. So we have 
um, both housing prices to buy have been increasing. We've seen a little dip at the beginning of this year due to sort of um, interest rate rises, but overall that's having very minimal effect for most, uh, you know, most people. Um, and we've also seen one of the tightest rental markets that we've had in a long time. I think our vacancy is below 2%. Um, we're working, uh, I guess our borders have opened, we're having international students back and there's all this pressure on the, um, the rental system. And so what we've been seeing then is obviously people need somewhere to live and in these tight sort of circumstances, um, we see this sort of growth in informality and so people's sort of own solutions to finding a place to live. Now, it can be something really simple and something that's been around for a very long time, like share housing. Um, in some senses, depending on whether everyone in your house is on a lease or not, um, there's an informal nature to share housing. Um, um, so that's sort of just sharing out your room. Uh, we've seen also shared rooms, which are more than one person per room, um, does lead to concerns over overcrowding. Um, and we also see things like, um, for example, some colleagues that I work with, uh, Professor Nicole Gowran and Pranita Shresha and Zara Nassim, uh, or Nas Nasreen, sorry, are all um, sort of looking also out at what we would say um, in, outer, in areas of Sydney where a few years ago they introduced um, um, a sort of a set which was allowed granny flats to be built. So granny flats here refer to a sort of an additional small structure on your block that you can mm. use for housing kind of thing. And what we see happen there in terms of informality is, um, yep, people apply for this, uh, but it's often used to occupy more, to hold more occupants um, than is legally allowed or uh, they use it for purposes that they're not approved of. Um, and again, it's that tension between having a substandard housing form or having somewhere to, and, having, and being able to live or having nowhere to live. So it's a really hard regulatory sort of tight rope for you know, building inspectors and councillors and that to navigate because the reason these things are happening is because there's nowhere else to live that's affordable. So we have this kind of really, I guess, um, informal responses are not always great, but they also offer people somewhere to live that's not on the streets. Um, and they can also prefigure, I guess, an alternative sort of future system. So in some more sort of, I guess, creative interpretations as well, we've had the City of Sydney um, put out their alternative housing ideas challenge a couple of years ago and that was just before COVID so that kind of stopped during that but we had a lot of things like community land trusts, um, I think a co-housing, co-living, pop-up shelters um, and these kind of remodelling the interiors of existing homes so that you could um, have more people live in in there, say if you were older and wanted to downsize and things like that. So all these different ideas of trying to, I guess, um, think through the housing challenges. Because one of the other things, and I'm sure as many cities in the world, we also have, you know, limited space. So um, how do we sort of make that space work for us? And and which part of that, I mean, from all these hacks, mm. um, some, some part of that have been digitally mediated yes. by new platforms 
or yeah yeah yeah, yeah so um so that's um a key, I guess, a key aspect of this as well. So, for example, share housing. Once upon a time, it used to be, um, you know, a note, note on a notice board somewhere, or word of mouth. And we still find that word of mouth is quite important. Um, but as it would be, I imagine now in most places of the world, um, platforms for finding flatmates and houses are the main way of um, finding a room to to rent. And so we've got platforms like flatmates.com. We also have some that are directed towards older uh, age groups. We've had the highest growth in share housing is actually people 50 and over in terms of proportion of growth. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, so you have this option, you put your profile up, you get to describe yourself a little um, and kind of apply for rooms that way. So that in itself can be sort of thought of as a hack, but people actually hack that system as well. So in their profile, what we found is people, um, unsurprisingly, performed the best version of themselves as a potential flatmate. Um, so that might mean, for example, we find that they say they won't be at home a lot. Um, so you'll be a great flatmate because a great flatmate is one who's never there. Um, we've also seen people uh, pitch to different audiences. So when one of our research participants was like, depending on which platform she was applying on, she would uh, make herself more either towards the left market or towards the, the greeny environmentalist sort of market. Um, and we had some users actually uh, say that they used it to circumnavigate some of their um, racist encounters that they'd had in in trying to find a place. So by posing themselves as racially ambiguous um, and they were found that was able to get over some of the sort of initial hurdles to finding a room. So these are all sort of um, ways of finding housing. And then within the houses, um, a lot of users now, so uh, we're reflecting on, again, coming back to those services. Um, So how to manage their household, particularly a shared house, Um, and do repairs or sort of handyman jobs. Um, So we have a platform here called Airtasker, which is you post a job and people say, I'll do it for this much or I'll do it for this much. Um, And, uh, you know, some participants reflected on using that. But then actually, once they'd found the person that they wanted to use, they took that relationship offline. So circumnavigating Airtasker itself um, and doing a more direct payment system. Um, So they're all sort of little ways of both finding housing and living within housing um, that people are sort of negotiating both these platform logics, but also using them to their advantage. So I think a lot of the discussion on platform um, urbanism and platform sort of tech is that, you know, where these kind of agency, sort of lacking agency, we sort of just do what the platforms want us to do. But I think it's far more complex, like people are very savvy and they know what's happening. So they find ways to work around it and use it to their advantage. That exactly goes to my next question. Um, I wanted to, um, I mean, two next questions. One (laughs) is um, if the, uh, uh, because you said urban hack uh, um, when you talked about the concept of urban hack is not just something in the intersection of, for example, digital informality or DVI urbanism, mm-hmm. rather it's a w- new way of seeing and thinking about urban problem. And you mm-hmm. talked about 
hack as a method of dealing mm. with urban problem through the solution, although it is not necessarily give a kind of uh, um, long-term alternative, but yeah. open new possibilities. Um, mm. That I wanted to to know how um, you can elaborate on that as a hack mm -hmm. as a as a method that y mm -hmm. you know you also mentioned in this uh, previous uh, comment that yeah this is not just a, a platform having agency but it's also a way of um, reclaiming or claiming agency. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, so. As a method, so one of the things that hacking does, if particularly as a method, say for example, we take policy experiments. So it's actually a really nice way for um, governments or government, local governments to experiment with say a, um, in the context of housing again, uh, regulatory change or a new idea that they don't normally have, I guess the political will or, um, I guess, endorsement to do at a large scale. Um, so uh, the City of Sydney, as I say, their Housing Ideas Challenge was a bit like that, but where that's done really effectively, actually, I think is Boston and their Housing Innovation Lab, um, which started off as part of the Mayor's new Office of Urban Mechanics, but is now sort of integrated because it was so successful fully into the um, broader department there. And what they do is, um, say, for example, take um, they did some stuff on micro-dwelling and things like that, but they've also had at the moment, I think they're in the second iteration of their additional dwelling unit um, sort of experiment. So um, much like the granny flats in Sydney that I talked about before, it's a, a way of sort of finding additional places to live within existing properties by these additional units. And um, so they'll select an area to trial that um, participants uh, get all the support that they need, including advice on, you know, um, compliance to fire and various other things, how to think about designing and budgeting for it and things like that. And then when um, that sort of trial is completed, they uh, then see if it was successful or not, get feedback and then scale up. Um, so in that sense, it's a, a method, an experimental method. And for, I mean, that comes to the individual as well, right? It's a way of working out how you can get around something that's causing you trouble. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about it in, as a method as well, is that it often reveals things that were previously hidden. So for example, um, these ideas, going back to Boston, they had an idea about combining, um, like which is done very successfully in other cities in the US, public infrastructure with housing. So like housing above a library or something like that. Uh, they actually found and going, yeah, this sounds like a great idea, we'll start to do it, that they were prevented by regulatory, um, not regulatory, sorry, procurement law in their state and city. Um, so, but they didn't realise that until they started trying it. And we see the same um, here in Australia. I have a student, uh, Laura Goh, who's doing great work at the moment on um, this, these kind of experiments. And again, in um, the ACT, there was a housing sort of experiment and um, what she found uh, was again one part of government's going yep we're endorsing this sort of new experimental approach but then it would get to building compliance and the idea this particular example was around um, sort of a, a co-housing situation where the three 
sort of couples had their individual dwellings on the same site, but they wanted to have a shared laundry. Um, and because of that, uh, they needed, when it came to the building regulations and compliance, they ended up having to um, also put in a shower and a bathroom in that laundry building because something said that it, in the way it presented that it was a dwelling and that you can't have a dwelling without a, you know, a laundry a bathroom. So they ended up having to do all these sort of loopholes. And so part of the process of a method is finding out these kind of like, uh, next time we're going to, do we have to change something in our compliance or regulatory um, systems that will allow this kind of innovation? And so we don't know that until we actually try it. And because yeah. housing is so many different regulatory systems to get something built, um, you know, it's a really interesting one for that. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, that uh, open um, or shed light on some flaws on the, yeah, on the existing uh, regulation. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, the, uh, you also did empirical work yourself in mm. Sydney. Um, mm -hmm. How did you do that? Were you also using these platforms or during your empirical work, you were mostly participant observation, for example? Mm. Um, so when I was doing my work, I was interviewing people who were using those platforms. I have used those platforms myself uh, very frequently. Um, I was share housing up into my late 30s. I'm very familiar with them. Um, but what I really would do would be uh, getting interviewees in to sort of um, participants in to interview them about their experiences. Also talking to um, people who sort of uh, run sort of these platforms or startups, things like that, and understanding what markets they're trying to capture and why they thought this was a good idea. And more recently, the latter part of a project that I've just completed was getting a few of these participants um, to use uh, a sort of a more ethnographic approach where, um, because, you know, I can't be in their house all the time because that would be weird. Um, <laughs> and I don't think they'd agree to that. Um, where we developed um, as part of an experiment looking at the opportunities of tech um, in, the, in the school with our design lab downstairs, we developed an ethnography app where the participants had to sort of... Um, they could upload photos and audio, but also text, uh, daily reflections of their experiences in the share house. And also thinking about the house from the viewpoint of a particular piece of technology in it. And that was really quite interesting. Because yeah, that's a lot <laughs> looking uh, in the, uh, for example, their flat through the particular technology. Like, yeah. Like, so one of them was uh, looking at it. Digital technology or, or? Yeah, digital technology. It could be any type, really, but yeah. they all chose a digital technology. So, for example, mm. one of them, uh, actually quite a few of them chose their laptop. Obviously, it goes with them most places. Yeah. Um, and it was things like, um, I'll see if I can get one up, actually. Hold on. It was a really lovely, um, really lovely um, description. Um, uh, where is the... Okay, um, so here's this one here. So I'm Kimmy the Laptop, named after the greatest driver and F1 champion Kimmy Räikkönen. I usually get considered as a property of someone, but I'd like to see myself as the third flatmate. 
I work nights, <laughs> I help with daily chores, planning, and sometimes even the execution of it by automating some of the work. I also think the person who bought me has an obsession towards me, always talking to me and hanging out with me, whether it be work, recreation, or traveling. I know that I have another flatmate, but I rarely see them. I see them very rarely when they need to use me in cases of emergency. Inside the house, there are only two places I usually like to be. It's either the desk, um, whereas most of my time, where I spend most of my time, day and night, and sometimes working for more than 12 hours. But when he is having a good day or a tired day, I go to the bed and end up watching a nice movie from time to time. My flatmate considers me as a multi-purpose tool, where sometimes he uses me as a coaster or even a plate. He is also very careless with me, dropping me a few times, dropping things on me. This kind of irritates me. I sometimes also find myself at the kitchen from time to time watching a movie while my flatmate cooks. Um, but that's my story, mostly spending my time indoors and never getting to go to the hip and cool places. <laughs> so <laughs> it was just sort of like a speculative yes, um, creative exactly. exercise. Yeah. Playing yeah. with the ideas, I think. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. It's really, really nice. Um, and doing exactly these experimental work mm -hmm. on these experiments, yes. uh, the, you also, are, I can imagine, you also develop your own perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I want to see that how do you see things now when it comes to intersection of, for example, digitalization mm -hmm. and everyday urban life, uh, because I heard um, your uh, keynote um, uh, lecture, in, if you remember, in mm. Beyond yeah. the Smart Cities uh, conference, and you talked about your way of seeing things as um, in between theories, between minor mm. theories and major theories. And mm. I had this feeling you kind of developed these way of um, seeing things through your um, empirical work. Uh, mm. Yeah, that's great question again, and a really nice observation actually of my work. I hadn't even really <laughs> thought of it that way, but it is. It's sort of that in between, and so, like, I guess I understand these sort of major theories and their importance. So I understand, for example, what I was saying before about this dominant sort of narrative around platforms that it's sort of a, a controlling and extractive. Um, technology and a very surveillant technology and that we're at the whims of the corporate overlord. Um, but on the other hand, there's also that minor uh, sort of theory that Cindy Carts obviously is uh, famous for and that I think Agnieszka Lachinsky uses very well in her idea of glitch urbanism in that that's not the whole, the whole story because it doesn't account for individual agency. And I think why I understand and really appreciate these broader structural sort of narratives people's everyday experience doesn't necessarily emerge in that same way. And it's because we do have this kind of, well, we do have agency. And people, as I say, like those flatmates who were using Airtasker, it's a very simple example. Um, but by taking that offline, they knew what they were doing. They knew what the platform was for and its, uh, I guess, um, economic model. So they use it to their advantage, ditch it when they found that and go in a, in a way that they thought was more, I guess, um, beneficial to both themselves and their um, trading. And so for me, I think the minor thing is really important 
because it's these small little um, interventions, transgressions, disruptions that often get dismissed by those interested in these more broader, major structural things um, as not doing anything to overthrow the system. Um, perhaps I'm slightly older and a bit more jaded now, but I, I'm not, not going to hold my breath until, you know, the system's overthrown, that we see the downfall of capitalism. And so people have to and do make things better for themselves now. And that might mean it's imperfect, but it still is an improvement. And I think, you know, um, that's where these little... Uh, looking at people's empirical, like looking at how people use it shows these ways that people engage with this. And I, I think um, Natalie Osborne wrote this article once. Um, it's a really great article on the politics of failure for still possible cities. Um, mm -hmm. And she's sort of talking about, you know, um, our unwinnable battles with against capitalism, climate change and crisis. And, you know, we're always like, we're, we're fighting against it. And she's like, well, let us sit for the moment with the idea that we've actually already lost. So what can we do in that to make life better for ourselves? And she sort of um, reflects on these, again, very small little interventions, but ones that build community, um, that build a sense of belonging and care um, as these kind of um, what I would see as a minor theory um, and almost a hack of these broader, um, I guess, systems. Does that yeah. answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank, thank you. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, regarding to uh, uh, your work, empirical work on urban hacks and uh, housing informality in uh, Sydney, mm -hmm. did you see also any glitchy moment in the, I think part of mm. that you already explained, but I want to to know if you specifically s saw some glitchy moments in a way tenants and housing networks mm. uh, build their power, um, or mm. uh, you said you don't like this word, but uh, you know disrupt the existing settings of governance. Uh, yeah, that's a good question and a difficult question. Um, because when I think of the glitch, it's also, I guess, the technology not working as it should and whether that's the system itself or the technology. And so in one way, the fact that we're seeing all this informality is itself a glitch because the system isn't working as it should, right? Mm -hmm. The system should be able to provide affordable places for people to live. And so, um, you know, these reactions are both hacky and glitchy in that they subvert this sort of social and legal requirements um, another, I guess, um, glitch in that sense would be, um, for example, um, say if we did, uh, uh, there were a couple of cases um, on the sort of more informal housing one where we talked to building inspectors about the legality of these sort of informal things. And so the glitch there is if uh, a few years back, um, and I'm sure it'll start happening again now that we have more students back, um, with very limited space, so the room sharing um, kind of and house sharing, we had multiple, often cases of uh, eight to twelve people in living in one unit, mm -hmm. um, and so there would be inspections. Um, they would actually the person, the landlord, would make sure the the redesign of the room was very so it's very temporary. So you could put take it down in terms of a um, inspection. Um, everything looks okay and then it's set up again and so 
the hack there is the being able to reconfigure the housing and make it look um, accommodate that many people, but then make it look like it's not. The glitch is the system, I guess, allowing that to happen by the landlord being able to have the the um, notice there to do this um, and then continue to do it without being fined. Could they produce a different way of public space, you know, coming out mm. of a bit from homes by mm. this way of housing? Could did you uh, uh, see or mm. did you feel that uh, this way of house could also go to new way of um, public space in terms of a space for new way of social life? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question too because I think so much our experiences of housing and home sort of reflect also our urban experience and experience of space. So, for example, I think... Um, Australia in particular has a very much a home owning ideology which is very private centered um, and you know your space is at your home and there's less particularly in the suburbs emphasis on these um, I guess productive public spaces and so I think shifting our mindset around these with these kind of hacks so this shift to more shared housing out of predominantly at the moment a necessity for people to find a place because it's always past a certain age had a bit of a stigma attached to it um, but shifting that to go actually no this is a really great collective communal way of living if done particularly well and this can have flow-on benefits for the way that we use public space and so um, making public space actually public <laughs> and like feeling comfortable in these spaces um, I don't know about um, the context over there, but Sydney, you know, it's it actually has some really nice public spaces, but not a lot of the really nice places are always accessible um, mm. because they're private. Um, and so thinking about what it would look like more as public space, a shared or an open source sort of um, infrastructure. So uh, Jimenez's work, I think, on uh, DIY or infrastructure as a sort of open source yeah. Um, system. So thinking that kind of way, I think, with both housing and public space could be really actually quite radical. Um, and I mean, this is one of the really great things I think about the hack as a method and a, and a thing is that it's speculative. So it allows you to show and demonstrate a potential future that's not possible now or hasn't been thought of now and sort of see that it could actually go that way. So I think in these terms, like all the sort of stuff from the informality to the sharing to the sort of hacking logics really point to something that could be a great collective community-driven place to live. Um, whether yeah. we get there or not is a different question, but that's what I hope for. Yeah, um, I think uh, exactly these last uh, sentence were uh, great to um, wrap up our chat uh, of thank you so much how um, urban hack um, have been practiced and how it can open new uh, political possibility in terms of mm. what city can be yeah and uh, thank you so much it was very informative no, um, and uh, inspiring and it helps us to rethink again how uh, small uh, actions can 
yeah, change the way we live uh, yeah. in cities. Um, and I would be happy if you have some um, sentence or uh, a comment. Oh, well, um, yes. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, just to finish on or just to sort of uh, reflect or... Um, just to finish on, if you yeah. like, or... Yeah. And we'd be okay. also happy if you have something to add, absolutely. No, um, no problem. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And I think, yeah, I guess just to, to finish on, I think my main sort of thoughts around this, uh, you know, what I like about thinking through hacking and even glitching is this idea that it puts agency back on the person or, uh, or a group of people doesn't have to be individualized and I think that puts a lot of power back in this narrative around uh, tech dominance, corporate dominance, the homogenization of the platform and its extracted and surveillance natures and I think uh, remembering that it's a two-sided uh, coin and that there's a lot of negotiating going on between them um, mm. I think is is really important so to keep that nuance and complexity in our conversations around um, these kind of technologies and I guess systems in urban spaces and I think um, another work I really like in that space is Kylie Jarrett's work on digital labor where she shows both opportunities for collectivizing and gaming the sort of the system um, and also how people um, I guess are very open and acknowledging that you know they might be giving something up to access something yeah. but whatever it is the platform's giving them gives them something in return so keeping i guess complexity to the conversation yeah perfect great great and thank you so much um and uh, thank you so much to our listeners uh you can find uh, uh, infos about the names and projects that have been mentioned in this episode in the show note and also if you want to give some tips and suggestion you can find my email address uh, in there uh, and stay tuned for the next episode <laughs>